0: October of 1928, Herbert Hoover was given what would become a remarkable speech that would lead him on to victory to be president of the United States. In that speech, uh, Hoover, who was a self-made millionaire, which was quite an accomplishment in 1928, Hoover uh, talked about this thing called American individualism or the rugged individual. He believed that one could become uh, significant uh, by what uh, he or she could do for himself or herself. I'm reading a book right now on emerging uh, adults, folks between the age of 18 and 30, and David Setran and Kiss Kieslin in their book talk about This view that uh, young, emerging adults have uh, called the sovereign self. I want to do what I want to do, and I'm going to do what I want to do, uh, regardless of how it affects anyone else. Not all, of course, emerging adults have that. But I would say that we are bitten by the bug of individualism in America Regardless of what age we are. And this individualism is something that causes us to miss uh, one of the major realities of the Lord's Prayer. There is a possessive pronoun in this prayer uh, that occurs again and again, and it isn't my, but it's our. Uh, read the prayer, Our Father. Uh, is how it begins. Forgive us plural. It is a prayer that that must be prayed by a family. It isn't a prayer to be prayed by just one sibling in the family. It is a prayer that I pray, For you, and you pray for you, and you pray for me, and we pray for one another. And if we cannot pray this prayer for one another, Jesus says at the end of it, and now that might help, that makes sense, you can't pray it for yourself. If I can't pray for God to forgive you, I can't expect him to forgive me. And so let's jump into this prayer. Uh, before we jump into their six petitions, six requests in the prayer, let's look at one other piece of front matter, and it's theological in nature. Our Father in heaven. Our Father in heaven. We have both the imminence of God and the transcendence of God in that one statement. The fact that we can call him Father means he is near. The imminence of God is the nearness of God, his closeness to us. He is our Father. He is approachable. We can talk to him as a child would talk to his dad or her dad. Jesus himself said, unless you come like a little child, you won't come. So he is imminent, he is near, he is close. We can cry out to him uh, as children cry out to their parents. That's the imminence of God, but he is in heaven. He is transcendent, so he is far Uh, He is above, he is exalted. This isn't just a New Testament idea of God. If you go to Deuteronomy in the Old Testament, uh, which is uh, comprised of three speeches made by Moses to prepare them to enter the promised land, there are two words that occur again and again in Deuteronomy. Love and fear, love and fear. Love God, fear God. He is imminent, he's near, love him. He is high, he is holy, fear him. Indeed, we learned that God is is both near and far. He is both low to descend to where we are and high to be far above our circumstances and situations. In light of that, three principles emerge from the prayer. Uh, The first two have to do with the first six petitions. Uh, The first principle, pray for God's glory. Pray for his glory. Look at these first three petitions. Uh, The first one, hallowed be your name. What does that mean? It means that, that we pray for God's name to be kept holy. Don't know if you've thought about it, but but God has left the reputation of his name up to us. Don't know if that's occurred to you, but you're his walking billboard if you belong to him, you're his 24 uh, 7 advertisement. Uh, the church, we're it. Uh, he has no plan B. There's, there's no other plan that he's put in place to reach the world except through his uh, children. It, that's his plan. And so when we pray, Lord, may your name be kept holy, uh, it's a prayer about uh, living in such a way so as we reflect a holy God in, in our own lives. We can embarrass God. We can defame his name. We can make him look really bad, can't we? Uh, Sometimes we try, other times hopefully most we do not, but we can do that. And it's a prayer saying, Lord, may your name be kept holy, second petition, your kingdom come as opposed to mine. Right, your kingdom come, Jesus teaches us to pray. Why? Well, there's nothing wrong with a kingdom mindset, and there's nothing wrong with building and planning and leading and, and doing what it is that you do in your sphere. God has designed you to flourish. He has designed you to spread out and to advance His cause through your work Uh, you just have to remember it isn't your kingdom as you do it it's his it it isn't your uh, team that you coach it's his it isn't your organization that you lead it's his It, it isn't your family that you parent it's his he's given them to you it's his kingdom, and he's given you whatever he's given, but it's his. You're not building out your domain, but his. Your kingdom come, third petition, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. All of these have to do with the glory of God. Uh, Perhaps you've never stopped to think that The way God's will is done in heaven is with the complete and total absence of sin. There is no sin there. Imagine loving your wife, imagine loving your husband without sin. That would be pretty sweet, wouldn't it? Imagine parenting your kids without the effects of sin on you or on them. That would be pretty remarkable. Imagine your job without the effects of sin of sinful people doing sinful things, misunderstanding or being deliberately rude or whatever it may be, imagine that. We can't, can we? We have never experienced that. Yesterday morning, I I got up early. Wendy had to be at work at 6. So I told her, I'll just get up with you. And I did up super early, coffee, time with the Lord, and then the yard. Almost as soon, it was, as soon as it was daylight, I was out there. I, no lie, pulled weeds until noon. Noon. I am so sore today because I'm old and I'm pulling weeds. I have a blister that developed and burst all at once. You know, one of those. And the whole time, just cursing Adam and Eve. What were you thinking? I mean, when you were in the garden, Adam and Eve, when you were in your garden, it was easy. There, you didn't deal with weeds. You just saw things grow, and there was wonderful fruit, and you ate it, and work was not a bad four-letter word. But no, you had to go get one tiny piece of fruit and mess this up for everybody, everybody, including me. Five hours of doing that work and working out there and figuring and and just just do it I remember years and years ago Trent was helping me he was probably five six and he's helping me and we're pulling weeds right so we're pulling weeds and he's out there and he looked up at me and uh we I mean we were hot and no lie he said to me dad I said what son he said why did Adam and Eve do this like son, exactly when we get to heaven, we're cornering them. <laughs> what were you thinking, right? But if you want to imagine God's will being done on earth as it is in heaven, the Garden of Eden is as close as it gets. There, His will was done without inhibition, with perfection, with joy, with great grace. So so we begin by praying for God's glory, and then second, and in this order, we pray for our good. Now, depending on your personality, you may struggle to ask God for things for yourself. Maybe you don't. Petition number four says, give us this day our daily bread. Practically speaking, most of Jesus' audience were common people, the amarets they were called. They were day laborers. They would get up in the morning and go to a vineyard or go to a field, and they would present themselves early. The first shift started at 6 in the morning. They would present themselves for work, making themselves available, hoping they would get hired. And when they got hired, they'd work and they got paid at the end of that day. So they worked all day, paid at the end of that day. And at the end of that day, they would go buy bread and food for dinner that night, breakfast, lunch the next day. So they would go buy their daily bread. Jesus was saying to them god cares about your daily bread god cares about that vineyard owner he cares about you he cares about the farmer who may hire you he cares that there's food in your stomachs god cares Perhaps you've never been hungry. Perhaps in your world, in your existence, that has never been the case. You've you've never been in a place where you hungered in the sense that food wasn't available. You wanted it, but it wasn't. I was a super poor college student, super poor, worked to pay my way through school, very poor, knew my parents could not help like they wanted to, and uh, I remember between my freshman and sophomore year, I worked at Wafford, and it was the time when the calf wasn 't open, and I was working, and I ran out of food and and it was a weekend that that I had just a little bit of money so I bought one piece of chicken because that was good protein and I divided it out to get me from Friday till Monday morning. And so I knew that I could eat this much here and set it aside and this much to get me until, until till Monday morning and at the time, I worked at, um, at Roses in Spartanburg. And I worked in the hardware section, and I remember going into work that Saturday quite hungry. And I'd never in my life been tempted to steal. But I walked by this massive, I still remember where it sat, massive display of Little Debbie's. And this thought went through my mind. I carried a box cutter for my job. If I take my box cutter and I just slice open one of those containers and pull out one of those cakes, whoever gets it home, they won't won't know. And I am really hungry. And I can eat. Thankfully, didn't do it. Went on, worked, hungry. I, I know how that feels. It's not good. Not good at all. My mom called me back before the days of cell phones, so that had to be arranged. My mom called me that Saturday night or I called her to check in. It was a weekly phone call. And she said, are you okay? I said, I'm good. Well, she wouldn't take that. And she said, no, something's wrong with you. I'm like, no, Mom, I'm good. And so we talked a little bit. And then she said, something's wrong. What is it? And my mom has never raised her voice in her life. She didn't even then. She said, what is it? And then she said, like, so intuitively, have you eaten Die that obvious? Let's have like a hangry issue, right? I said, Well, yeah, then what have you eaten? She said, I told her, she said, Oh, oh my gosh, you gotta be kidding. Why didn't you call? Right? And so here she comes next morning, meets me, right? This was, you know, you can't miss church even if you're starved. So we met at a church, worshiped together. And then I got food, all right? So she had all these bags of groceries. If you ever do this again, I will kill you, right? That is our Father. He, he cares about day laborers. Whatever your daily is. So probably for most of you isn't food, but you got a daily. There's a daily burden. There's a daily need. Give us this day our daily bread. Petition number five, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Let me deal with that one in a moment. Position number petition six, and lead us not into temptation, but to deliver us from the evil one. I'm going to just say to you, I don't have time to deal with that petition. It's the one that has boggled my mind more than any in the Lord's prayer for the whole time. Like, I've studied this again and again and again. Like, why would you ever ask God who never leads anyone into temptation not to lead you into it? Doesn't that just boggle your mind? I've read different things. I have my opinion, so I'm about to give you opinion, all right? This is only opinion. Others will have yours. I really would enjoy hearing it. Like, why would you pray to God? Why would you pray, do not lead us into temptation when you know he never will? Two things. One is... uh, is uh, it reassures you. If this is family language, even though there are things that you know your parents will do, sometimes when you say those things to your parents, knowing what they will and will not do, it just reassures you. Right? It's that. It's just simple family talk, and it reassures you. The other is this, is D.A. Carson. I'll lean on D.A. Carson. I like his writing, his his approach. D.A. Carson says that he thinks this is a figure of speech where you're saying something the opposite of which you want to happen. Uh, Like if somebody says people do it today a lot if if somebody is not saying I'm right uh, they might say I'm not wrong what does I'm not wrong mean means I'm right and Carson says and if you want to know the big word for this I just learned it this week it's l-i-l-o-t-e-s that's what that is when somebody does that when they say I'm not wrong meaning I'm right that's a little and maybe that's what it is but then there's this addendum to the Lord's Prayer that seems a bit out of place and it's a bit jarring. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your Heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive yours. So this brings up the most pressing question of the day. If I, Do I forgive others so that I can be forgiven? That's what it seems to say. Plain, obvious meaning seems to be that that you forgive in order to be forgiven. So let's talk about it, and let's go back to petition number five. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. What is a debt? A debt is something that you owe to someone, right? If you've not yet paid for your home, a bank owns it, right, until you pay them. That's a debt. If you don't pay your debt, you will lose your house or whatever it is. Once a debt is incurred, it only two things can happen to the debt. It is either forgiven or it's paid. Those are the only two things that can happen. It's either forgiven or or it's paid. Unless you default on it, it's either forgiven or it's paid. When you sin against God, only two things can happen to your sin it can either be forgiven or you have to pay for it. There, there's not a gray, gray area in the middle. It either has to be forgiven or you have to pay up. All right. There are two realities that are being addressed here, and I want you to hang with me, and I'll give you some stuff, four different things that will draw this in. Uh, hopefully, we'll land the plane, and it'll make sense to you. Two realities here that have to be addressed. When you come to God by faith in Christ, your sins are forgiven, period. We call that redemption. You are redeemed, There are other words that float around in theology with that. Redemption, atonement, your sins are covered, justification, declared righteous. This is heavy, remarkable theology. Your sins past and your sins present and your sins future. When God looks at you from that point on, he sees his son, Jesus Christ, always and forever will. When you come to God by faith in Christ. Well, Scripture clearly teaches there's absolutely nothing you can do to get that. It's a free gift that you receive. Well, then, Jesus, what do you mean? If that is a free gift I receive, if, if redemption is this free gift that I receive, then, then what do you mean by saying, if you forgive others, you'll be forgiven, and if you don't, you won't? All right, just... Don't lose sight of the context. This is family talk. So there's redemption. That's the point of salvation. But then there is this thing called relationship. Reconciliation. You can be forgiven and at odds with God. You can know Christ but be far from him. Right? Right? You can be clean and clear when it comes to being justified of your sin, but because of a situation or a a sin that you're uh, massaging and keeping in your life, uh, uh, because of a relationship you uh, aren't dealing with, you can be far from God. Uh, Let's picture it like this. If you've ever raised more than one kid that is close in age, what do they do sometimes? Sometimes. They fight, right? They argue. They, they do. I, I have an 18-month-older brother. I have an 18-month-younger sister and then a 10-year-younger down the way brother. So there was three of us, all right? And it just wasn't pretty sometimes. It just wasn't. As kids, uh, dad was a preacher. We went to church every like every single Sunday, whatever was going on. We were there, you know, we just went. I remember one time, I, it's unbelievable, all right, so if you're young kids in the room, imagine this. Uh, they ran out of room in the little church we were in and they decided to set all the kids on the altar. No lie, all of us, we're little. And so we're all sitting on the altar, facing that way. The preacher's preaching behind us. All our parents are out there in the big seats and we're sitting on the, you know, the steps of the altar, I don't know what my brother did, but I thought it well deserved an elbow. I did, like, I mean, a good one. He did something, and my elbow went boom, just like that. Well, evidently, he thought that deserved one back. And here came his elbow, boom, right back at me, and I was just ready to do it again when I saw the look. You know the look, right? My dad looked at me, and I thought, oh, Jesus I'm on the altar right now. Do it. Like, do what you got to do because I'm close as I could get, and I'm going to die. Like, my dad is going to kill me. I've just embarrassed him in front of all these people. It's going to be over. So I remember we we had a little two-door Nova hatchback, and service was over, and we went out and got in the Nova, and I climbed in the back and was surprised at how sleepy I was. Like, I just fell asleep immediately. It was amazing. Like, I I just was like, and and Noah, I remember the ride because we had to go up the mountains and we lived way back in the woods and we had to go up in the mountain. And I remember the ride all the way up the mountain. Dear Jesus, let him forget. Oh, let him forget. Like, I'm praying in the moment, you know, and he did. Like, evidently the service was good enough. Dad forgot, faith restored, you know. All happened right there. I am just thrilled because I don't have to deal. Now, God doesn't do that. And what Jesus is saying is, no more than will a, a earthly father say, I'll forgive you, though you won't forgive your brother or sister. God, your heavenly father says, if you will not forgive your brother or your sister, then you will not experience forgiveness from me. Doesn't mean redemption. That's yours. It means relationship. It means when you want him near, he'll feel very far. It it means when you cry out, the ceiling will be your worst enemy. Because your prayer just won't seem to go like you want it to. Let me me share four things on why you should forgive the person you don't want to forgive. Number one, salvation is unconditional. Fellowship with the Father is conditional. Scripture says you can grieve the Holy Spirit. Number two, justification before God is unconditional. The anointing of the Spirit is conditional. You can be justified, but not blessed by the Spirit in whatever it is you're trying to do. Number three, our status in the family of God is unconditional. Our intimacy with Christ is conditional. Number four, our eternal destiny, whether we go to heaven or to hell, is fixed. If you've come to Christ, that's determined. It's fixed. But receiving an additional reward is conditional. You say, well, Jerry, what does that mean? Do you know in my years of ministry, the most miserable people I've ever met are those who know Christ but are far from him? Miserable. Those, those who, who've received the gift of salvation, who've, who've had the moments of sheer joy and worship, who've, who've, as David would say, gone up to the hill and worshipped in the temple. Only now to be on the outside, glancing in at others, and realizing I once was there. I once knew that Uh, I once had that joy most miserable people I've ever met that's who Jesus is talking about here that's why In my counseling as a pastor, often one of the first places I go is to find one of two things. One, sin, uh, when when somebody says, "I, I just feel so far from God. Sin, I don't want to give up, number one. Number two, someone I don't want to forgive. Those two, they are often root causes. Distance between you and God sin I don't want to give up someone I don't want to forgive so what do you do I've included and in, I'll post sometime this afternoon this evening and put these four things in the blog and then this final prayer here it is A simple prayer, but honest one, for you to pray if this is where you are. And before I share it, I want to say two things. For some of you, this is someone who has done something egregious. It's awful. It's awful to talk about and think about the word abuse or neglect can describe it and no one in this room takes that lightly I would say that can be the hardest but then I've discovered in my own life and in my own interactions with with God's people there's one but then the other that can be equally as challenging I call the dripping faucet, the repeat offender, the, the, the thing that happens again and again and again. As a matter of fact, that was a question from someone. I'm answering questions about forgiveness on my blog. That I, Can you forgive an unrepentant person? Can you? I talk about that in the blog. That's hard work won't go into the answer to that today. It comes up in a sermon later. So wherever you are and whatever has been done to you, this prayer I think you will find helpful. It goes like this. Father, I honestly don't want to forgive whoever it is. They have whatever they've done. Yeah, I want and desperately need your forgiveness. I need your help forgiving whoever it is. I trust that you, through your spirit, will give what I need to forgive whoever it is. Thank you for forgiving me a simple prayer that some of you as I shared it know immediately whose name is in the blank and what they've done or are doing and the reason that you're far from God today is because you you won't forgive. I'm glad in his prayer that he lets us pray this for one another. Aren't you our? I found in this kind of walking with God that I need some shoulders to lean on. So that's what we're going to do. Would you stand? Would you make up all the space across the aisle? So that means these two sides move in. Would you take your arms and just put them around on the shoulders of the person beside you? So we have several Montreat students. You're used to this, right? You do this. You do this every... I'm preaching to you again tomorrow. I pour you two times in, in two days. Um, but uh, we're going to do the Lord's Prayer together. Are you ready? I figure most of us know it. It's not on the screen. Sarah, where are you? Beautifully sang that. Great song. Let's do that. Would you bow your heads as we do that? And let's pray it out loud. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation, but to deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.